I'm JP Tuesday. And I'm Kiki Cannon. As lifelong Disney fans, the work of countless talented Disney creatives have shaped our lives. Now, as the Disney catalog expands, we're taking a journey through film and television to discover if that spark that shaped us as children lives on in adulthood. Does your favorite Disney media still cast that same spell? Join us as we find out. We are Rewatching the Magic. Hi, Kiki. Hi, Tuesday. Um, so, um, this is kind of a coincidence. We did not expect to do a movie about a royal right after the passing of a royal. Yeah, that was kind of awkward. Yeah. This is, we we tend to plan these out quite a bit in advance. Entirely coincidental, we assure you. Um, so, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> um, Princess Diaries. The movie, the feature film debut of Anne Hathaway. Who who knew this Disney kid would eventually become one of the hottest and highest paid actors in Hollywood? Yeah, well, I mean, it it was kind of a pretty big debut, though. Yeah. It, it It's easy to forget what a big splash this movie made at the time. And no one thought it would. It, it's a G-rated Disney comedy film. But I had forgotten exactly how old this film is. 2001. Yeah, and it's kind of weird to remember how old that is now we're <laughs> old <laughs> we're ancient one of my students referred to kim possible as old disney the other day oh. um you want to talk about feeling yourself shriveling up and turning to dust that uh that hit me in a very bad place <laughs> I don't teach children either. I teach grown adults. So that's that's also just so bad. Keep in mind that some of the students you're teaching weren't even in existence when this movie came out. Yeah. Um, this is... This is a, a thing, though, that... Um, the team up of Gary Marshall and Julie Andrews was the big selling point here. Yeah. Like we said, this is Anne Hathaway's first film. At the time, it's The Princess Diaries starring Who and Julie Andrews. And Julie Andrews had been semi-retired for a while. Um, she had some problems with her vocal cords. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, there was something that she wouldn't be able to sing anymore, and she rarely sings these days anyway because of it. Well, she had needed surgery for her for her vocal cords, and the surgery went wrong. It was in the mid to late nineties, I believe. I I forget exactly what had happened. I don't know if it was like nodules or or something on her vocal cords, but she needed a surgery and the surgeons botched the surgery. Can you imagine being the surger the surgeon that screwed up Julie Andrews' vocal cord surgery? I mean, being the surgeon that silenced Mary Poppins. <laughs> yeah. Um, she di- did not sing in public for quite a long time. She will sing um, on occasion, but it did limit her range. It, it has... Um, made it impossible for her to have quite the same vocal quality that she used to have. And she had to go through extensive vocal retraining and quite a lot of recovery, a a lot of, of physical therapy to get back to where she is now so you will occasionally now hear her sing but it is not the same as before this movie was her at gary marshall's request and kind of begging is my understanding her way of just being an actor again. There is no singing. This isn't a musical. But she is an actor. And it is playing on the the tropes that Julie Andrews became famous for. Hmm. So it was a way of retaining that Julie Andrews mystique without being needing to to sing. And we have talked about Gary Marshall before, legendary director, Pretty Woman, Beaches, Hocus Pocus, League of Their Own. The list goes on and on and on. I I'm I'm guarantee I'm missing someone's favorite movie out of that out of this list. Well, and also just because of you know he he started on television mm-hmm. you know I mean he did Dick Van Dyke show and uh, Odd Couple and Happy Days of course he was the creator of so um, there's that long long list before you even get to the films and then Chicken Little <laughs> and then Chicken Little um, but yeah uh, where we've got that and we've we've got the passing of the tiara in that that way um 
And of course, this movie gets a lot of comparisons to Pretty Woman in the sense that it's a sort of for kids version of of a similar story. I would have gone with like Pygmalion. Well, I mean, they're all based on that Pygmalion story. And that's why Julie Andrews is in it, because, Mm -hmm. of course, My Fair Lady is based on on Pygmalion. So it's it's that same thing. Pretty Woman is based on My Fair Lady, which is based on Pygmalion. I mean, it all goes back to that same basic concept that Cinderella, which is based on that same concept. I mean, you know. Um, you study if you study fairy tales mm-hmm. in an academic sense, it's all kind of goes back to the same basic uh, story beats, and it's the idea of you think you come from nothing, but really you're special and destined for greater. Um, you're the chosen one, <laughs> but in in this, there is no man as the inciting incident, other than the fact that she inherits from her father. And you know, just by default of being royalty on her father's side. And she outright rejects her heritage. Yeah, I mean... We'll get into it when we get into yeah. the story, but the point of uh, the, you know, here is your legacy... And she is saying no. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, it's it's your, uh, you know, it's almost like an anime trope. The, you know, in this case, Anne, uh, Anne Hathaway is like the anime magical girl or something. Yeah. Um, the, the technical term is a refusal of the call. <laughs> but um, the idea of her father not being in it was a massive change. Because From, this is based on a book series. I, I, was, I was getting to that. Yeah. yeah, this was based off a book series, The Princess Diaries, which came out about a year before this movie did. Meg Cabot wrote the first book, thought, hey, I can make this a movie, sold it sold it around. Disney bought it, made a movie out of it. And uh, Meg continued to write books, wrote nine Princess Diaries books. Two of them became movies, the first and the last. <laughs> Then uh, she wrote some spinoff stories with, oh, Mia has a long lost sister. Because, and then apparently there is one more coming out next year. Um, the Quarantine Princess Diaries. Okay. You know, whatever. Um, the, the thing is, though, is that uh, Meg Cabot said that she was not really involved in in the planning of the movie at all. Um, she made a joke that Gary Marshall doesn't need me to tell him how to make a movie. I've never made a movie. He's Gary Marshall. Um, so she had written like a script treatment and had sold it and they bought it and Disney completely rewrote it and 
once she learned how much it was being rewritten, she was like, you know, I'm planning sequels to my books. I, they're, they're going in a completely different way. I don't want my books to, to really be uh, impacted by that. It's better that the movies exist in their own universe. The books exist in their own universe. We're, we're doing different things here. Uh, thank you for the money and goodbye. So that seems to be what happened. Um, she took the money and wished the movie well and gave it the thumbs up and that everybody seems fine with that arrangement. In the books, Mia's father is still alive and plays a big part, I understand. But Gary Marshall really wanted Julie Andrews to be the the focus of the movie. And so we get the dead parent trope of Disney. They decided that they would make it a... Mia needs to take the throne because her father is dead and we've got the whole plot thing of, you know, if you don't take the throne the country stops existing in the way it does because somebody else gets the country and whatever. And, you know, um, drama, you know, yeah. her father dies off screen at some point because of a accident or something. I think they said it's, yeah, it's too, a little, yeah. Two it's months before bait. the events of the film, her father dies and then we start the movie with, oh, you're a princess. I generally hate this trope. It kind of works here because they go through the whole thing of Mia doesn't, has never known her father. The father is just, has never been there. She grew up with the mom, and the only thing she knows about her father is her father sent a birthday gift and a card every year. And she has a picture of him. Even Th her friend, that's it. <laughs> yeah, even her her friend says, you know, why are you depressed over your dad? You never knew him. He was never there for you. Yeah, it's it's. She basically had a donor. Yeah. You know, it's it's basically like her her mom had a donor. <laughs> it's it's um, I don't want to downplay it, but that is that is the way it is treated in the movie. There was a man. She never met the man. She's heard stories about the man. She's never met any of his family. She apparently doesn't even know his last name. So it seems a very similar situation. Uh, the mom is a completely single mother. Uh, there appears to have been some sort of child support situation going on uh, financially and that that was the end of the relationship that that is one of the major points of difference in the book uh, apparently there were a lot of others um, the books are less comedic in my understanding they really wanted to make this a comedy the uh, character that is played by Hector Elizondo is also 
greatly expanded. Um, and the romance between Hector Elizondo's character and Julie Andrews' character apparently came from the table read because they were adorable together. And they are adorable in this movie together. And they are adorable in this movie and in the, the sequel in which they expand on that. Um, but it apparently just came from the two actors being kind of adorable and Julie Andrews went, why don't why don't they have like a you know little flirtation or something and um it apparently expanded Hector Elizondo's part Hector Elizondo uh who plays the the security for Julie Andrews um was brought over because he had worked with Gary Marshall before on Pretty Woman um so it was kind of one of those things of you know they they knew each other and they had worked together so you know here here he is their working relationship was was good enough to to bring him over the younger cast is all kind of interesting um we've talked about one or two of them before in the younger cast of course uh probably the most Famous at the time would have been Mandy Moore, who shows up as the the, the bully. school bully. Yeah, uh, I mean, and of course because it's Mandy Moore, she needs a scene a scene where she's singing. Yeah, which is kind of awkwardly shoehorned in. She's the only person in the movie who gets to sing at the the little beach party there, but she was at the time one of Disney's big you know recording artists um the other main part of the best friend here to to mia uh lily is played by heather matarazzo she had had some success prior um including being in one of the sequels to scream uh and being in the devil's advocate uh with Keanu Reeves she is really fun and funny in this as the one who is the grounding force for Mia you know you have an opportunity here like yeah it it kind of sucks, but you also have the ability to have a platform and use it for good. Yeah, they'll listen to you. You're the princess. Yeah. They won't um, listen to me. I'm just a high schooler with 12 viewers on a cable access show. If this was remade today, it'd be a YouTube show. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, with he uh, Heather Matazaro, I first saw her in a movie called Welcome to the Dollhouse. Yeah, uh, that was that was another that one was her that first she was. Yeah. yeah, that was that was her her kind of breakout role there. Um, the I I mean, I personally kind of remembered her from the Scream films because that was kind of where I was at at the time. Um. Her, the way she plays off of Anne Hathaway's Mia is 
a really good dynamic in this one, and I think it makes a lot of the movie work. Because um, she kind of is the voice of reason when it comes to Mia. Yeah. Also, in Mia's life, you've got her mom, which is played by Carolyn Goodall, who I had known primarily from Spielberg films because she had worked with him on two movies uh, in the early 90s, which was Hook, in which she played Moira, who was Peter Pan's wife. Um, And then she was again in Schindler's List, in which she played the wife of Oscar Schindler. So that was mostly how I knew her. I mean, it wasn't the the end of her credits list by any means. She had a really good career, but uh, that was my personal kind of where I knew her from. Others who are kind of around Mia at the time, we get... Lily's brother, Michael, who ends up being kind of the long-term love interest. Until the sequel. Until the sequel. But, but I mean, for this movie, at least. Um, who is played by uh, Robert Schwartzman. Who, this is this is kind of his, his big film role at the, at the time. I mean, he's done some, some other things. He... he was in the Virgin Suicides and he pops in now now and again for kind of cameo appearances and stuff. This is kind of his biggest role. Uh, he's primarily a musician. With, uh, with a band called Rooney, which they named after the principal from Fairless Bueller. Yeah. Um, and they are the uh the band in this he's also got the connections to the uh the Coppola family there <laughs> um so yeah his his uncle is uh Francis Ford Coppola and so he uh he's cousins with uh Nicolas Cage and Sofia Coppola and you know that that whole group he spends most of his time Working on his his music, uh, not not so much doing the acting thing, but uh, pretty good here. He he yeah. makes a believable uh ba- band nerd love interest for Mia. Um, we've talked about the secondary love interest, Mia's initial crush uh eric von detten before because he is the voice of sid in toy story a couple of other people we've talked about before uh we've got sandra O oh playing the vice principal of mia's school who is just oh so happy to meet julie andrews <laughs> <laughs> i wonder how much of that was indescribable how much it was that oh my god it's julie andrews <laughs> Yeah, I don't think that would be too difficult a part to act. It's like, pretend you're really impressed by meeting Julie Andrews. I think I can do that. <laughs> um, we last talked about her when we talked about Ryan the Last Dragon. Yeah. 
and she has the line in here that has been memed to hell and back on TikTok. Gupta, the queen is coming. Yeah. Uh, and then we've talked about uh, Larry Miller just recently when we did 10 Things I Hate About You. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's in this one as Paolo, the hairdresser that gives Mia her princess makeover. And the interesting thing is that Mia's father, the actual physical uh, presence uh, in pictures and in the one flashback we see of Philippe is played by Anne Hathaway's father, Gerald Hathaway. So the... um, the images you see are all him, but when you hear the voice reading the letter, that's actually the voice of Rene Aubergenois, who I think we last talked about when we did our very first episode all those years ago now, uh, in The Little Mermaid. Yeah, and we got, uh, I don't think we've talked about him yet, but, um, one other member of the cast here is, uh, Patrick Fluger, he plays the uh, magic-loving student in their high school, uh, Jeremiah, who is constantly going around doing card tricks and stuff for and may them. Or may, may or may not have a may or may not have a thing for Lily. Yeah, depending, my, on, depending on how you want to read into the movie. Yeah, uh, I knew him because he had a. Uh, one of the main roles on the original 4400 series, which I love, where he played Sean. Um, but also, interestingly, in uh, another timeline, he could have been our Captain America in the MCU. Because hmm. he he apparently was was one of the people who... Uh, try it out for for that part um but currently yeah. on chicago pd for those you chicago pd fans so let's let's sum up here we summed up most of the plot already but we can kind of get into it so we this movie now it's been parodied parodied a lot afterwards but this was one of the movies where i really noticed it I call it Hollywood Ugly, where you take a very attractive person and try to make them as unattractive as possible. Batman and Robin is when I first noticed it, where they try to make Uma Thurman not look like Uma Thurman. And they kind of do the same thing with Anne Hathaway here when she at the beginning of the movie. They give her frizzy hair. She's wearing glasses. She has baggy clothes. And... Oh, she's supposed to look not beautiful. But it's like in the next scene, she has her hair back, she has her glasses off, and she looks like Anne Hathaway. Well, I think this trope is as old as film. Uh, but, you know, it's the the idea of give, give a woman glasses and a messy bun and suddenly she's unattractive you know but it's like oh take off your glasses and let down your hair and it's like well now my hair's in my face and i can't see you 
But apparently that makes me more attractive. Thanks. Like, I know it's it's all to lead up to the big makeover scene later, but it's like she doesn't look that much different. You straightened her hair and get, put her makeup on her. Doesn't look much different. <laughs> well, the the interesting thing is is that the the hair she's wearing at the beginning of the movie was a wig. Apparently, it took an hour for them to do her eyebrows to make them look the way Mia's is uh, looks at the beginning of the film. Yeah, do they give her really thick eyebrows? Yeah, they they even make a Frida Kahlo joke in there, which I think is a bit unnecessary. Um, but apparently they applied the the eyebrows like with individual hairs, and it took them an hour to do that to give her the kind of bushy eyebrows and stuff, which is oh. very bizarre because when they do the the close up right before they they remove them in the um makeover scene it looks horrible like i'm i'm watching this stuff now in high definition and it looks awful uh, the thing is, is you're right i was watching this back and maybe it's i was you know already in my 20s and when this movie came out so I didn't buy it even then, but when you're watching it now um, at our age and you're like, she, she looks fine. I mean, maybe run a brush through your hair. You know, you're 15, so you wear something other than your school outfit. It's fine. Um, you're not supposed to look amazing and sexy at 15 it's it's okay give it five years you'll you'll be fine and she i mean they even call attention to it in the movie like i don't even have body part certain body parts yet yeah i mean she's she's making a point that she's still going through puberty you know it's it's fine that you're not you're final evolved pokemon form here it's it's okay it's, it's all right everyone's supposed to be awkward at that age it's it's okay um but her mom is a weird artist and makeup and hair are skills possibly to the point of witchcraft it is why people pay other people to do hair and makeup. If the men folk knew women could shapeshift, they'd call the church. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it's to the point of, you know, there are schools and degrees in hair and makeup. I teach people who are getting degrees in hair and makeup. That is not what I teach them, but that is, you know, I, I teach at a college that has that as a program. There's a, there's a reason why this is a skill that is paid for. Um, 
Mia's mother does not seem that interested in teaching her that. Her friends are also not that interested in that. Mia does not seem that interested in that. It's fine that she just doesn't have that skill. I mean, later on after the 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 makeover, Lily straight up calls her a sellout. Like, you want to be one of the pretty people? You want to be one of them? Now, yeah. granted, granted, she admits it later that it was just jealousy. But it's like, granted, and, and, and obviously Mia is hurt by her best friend telling her, you became one of them, you're selling out. But you have a good point in the fact that, like, oh, it's the, it's the, the Hollywood makeover thing or whatever. And it's like, well, they put her in a frizzy wig with bushy eyebrows and stuff. And it's like, part of it is genetics and part of it is she has a stylist. And the part of it is genetics is like, well, that's just what Anne Hathaway would look like without a stylist. Let's be honest with ourselves. She still looks like Anne Hathaway. She still looks like Anne Hathaway. It's just she looks like Anne Hathaway without a stylist. Princess Mia just looks like Anne Hathaway with a stylist. You know? Mm -hmm. Um, There's the joke of, I'm not ugly, I'm just poor. Which is, I mean, there's a bit of truth to that. There are... Part of it is, is genetics, and part of it is just, can you afford a stylist and and tailored clothing? Um, and people underestimate how much of what is considered attractive is just what looks like you have money. Um, I I part of part of what I do. In, you know, as a hobby is study historical fashion and beauty trends. And people underestimate that genetics plays a, a part in what is attractive because health and fertility and what is considered healthy and a marker of fertility is always going to be attractive to people. But beyond that, the main thing that is considered attractive societally is, do you look like you have money? So whatever the rich people are doing is what is what is considered attractive to society at large. Um, so if wearing lots of makeup and being pale skin, you know, like looking like you never go out in the sun is what's attractive. That's what's attractive for society. If looking like you're always sitting out in the sun and getting a tan and never eating because you can work out all the time or whatever, and now you're really skinny, then that's what's attractive. If looking like you can afford all of the sugary foods and so now your fat is attractive 
well, there was a time that was the attractive thing, because guess what? I can afford to have sugar imported from wherever, and poor people can't. So now I I pack on the pounds, baby, and fat is in. There was there was a whole swath of time when that was yeah. So, I mean, it just it's just whatever the rich people are doing, and so Mia goes from being like the weirdo artist's daughter who doesn't pay attention to her makeup and whatever to being like, oh, you have your own personal stylist who does your hair and makeup every morning and your school uniform goes from not really fitting very well to suddenly being immaculately tailored to fit your body. That's the other thing that people don't notice is that at the beginning of the movie, her school uniform is kind of just, it's like off the rack and it sort of kind of fits her. And then after the makeover, it's perfectly tailored to her measurements. Hmm. I didn't know that. Yeah, which is the other thing people don't, don't notice unless you pay attention to clothing is like everybody always wonders like, you know, why, why does, you know, oh man, that person, you know, pick famous person you find attractive. Like, that person looks really good wearing a t-shirt and jeans, but if I was to put on a t-shirt and jeans, I wouldn't look that good. Like, it must be because they work out or whatever. It's like, no, they'll buy a t-shirt and jeans, and then they'll have it tailored to their body. That's, that's what it is. You know? Um, if you, if you did that same thing, and had all your clothes tailored specifically to you, it would look a lot better on your body as well. Um, so she's still wearing the exact same school uniform, but at the beginning of the movie, not tailored later in the movie tailored. She looks a lot better wearing it. It's a subtle difference, but it makes all the difference in the world. So it's not just the hair and the makeup, it's the it's the clothing too. It's also weird how they put in this movie the reason the parents split up. Philippe and Helen, they meet in college, they fall in love, they get married. They have Mia and then they divorce right after. And the implication beginning is because Queen Clarice did not approve of Helen. Oh, is that why you got divorced? No, we got divorced for a different reason. They explain it later that the divorce was because Helen did not want to be a royal. She just wanted to be an artist. She wanted to paint. She didn't want to have any of the duties of being a royal, especially the fact that she had to walk behind the king, which would be her husband. She wanted none of that, which was also, also as she says, she did not want to be a baby factory producing heirs to the throne. So they agreed to split up so he can find someone else who wanted the throne, who wanted to produce heirs while she went back to live her life as an artist. It also seemed, I mean, it's a G-rated Disney movie, so I have a feeling they didn't really get into this, but it makes it kind of seem like Maybe Mia was unplanned. 
and possibly. they might have been forced into marriage. If this was not a G-rated movie, she probably would have been born out of wedlock. Yeah, but but you know what I mean? It, it kind of mm. makes it seem like... They didn't plan to get married. They kind of had to because of the of, uh, of Mia. Yeah. And, uh, Philippe standing as a prince. The thing I kind of wonder about, though, is that, like, if he is, if he was a prince, though, and, I mean... Wouldn't Mia have been like, oh wow, do you got do you have any wedding pictures or anything? like? Wouldn't there have been like a massive royal wedding? Wouldn't there have been like that would have been on the? I mean, wouldn't how, there have been like a, a like news articles of like your your? I mean, the royal that, wedding recently of from a few years ago that was everywhere. Charles and Diana's wedding was everywhere. So I was like, you would think that the prince of, no matter how small this country is, it has enough standing that it has its own embassy in the United States. Yeah, and I mean, there are other, you know, okay, the the American and British relationship, and, and of course, just the British relationship with the world is a bit different than most countries that still have some form of monarchy. Um, so that's that's going to be a, a bit different. But even other kind of countries that still have monarchies, when there is a royal wedding elsewhere, it still does end up in the news some you know somewhat um not to the same kind of the entire world stops because most of the world is either still part of the commonwealth or was at some point ruled by the british empire in that way but you know it's like genovia does not have that status but you would think that even in 2001, everybody was Googling themselves just occasionally for giggles, you know? It's like, you would occasionally just do like a, hey, I wonder if I've ended up on the internet somewhere, you know? You would have thought that perhaps Mia would have come across the fact that, like, her mom was at one point married to a prince. This story works a little bit better prior to the age of the internet, and I realize that 2001 is a different internet than today, but I, I remember the internet of 2001. You could have You could have found a news article in 2001 of a royal wedding, you know? Mm -hmm. So... Uh, just a, a little bit different, but the the interesting thing, though, is that her father never did remarry in those fifteen years, or if he did, there was there was never another child in this universe. Apparently, there was like a secret sister or whatever in the books, or 
something. But in this universe, there there was never a second child. Uh, yeah, there was there was never another marriage. There was a, it's only Mia. And we also find out that he had an older brother. He was not supposed to be the king. Probably why he was taking a college course in America. Yeah, why he was going to college in San Francisco. Like, I'm not going to be the king. I'm going to explore other countries. And then we find out that his older brother... Went to the church. He he he. Whether he's a priest or a monk, we it's never said. He, said, he just said he was heir to the throne and re- resigned his position to devote his life to the church. And I don't think he's ever mentioned again. I don't think he's mentioned in the sequel. No, it's that. That's it. It's the the strangeness of this story how much abdication there is in this family because he was also going to give up his position. Philippe was, and then he realized that like, well, no, I can't also give up my position. So somebody's got to stick stick around and rule this country. Okay, fine. Uh, they explain it that, you know, he gave up his own happiness for the happiness of his people. Which is also lends into Mia's decisions. Yeah. yeah. Apparently he was in love with Mia's mother and would have liked to stay married to her. But he couldn't ask her to be a royal. But also he needed to go be a prince, you know. And also seemingly wanting his daughter to have a normal life. Yeah, that was the interesting thing, is that he did not fight for Mia to be raised in Genovia. He was content to... And so was the entire family. You would have thought that the royal family would be like, look, this is the only heir we have. And if we don't have somebody of royal blood on the throne, there's, like, a whole other weird, like, baron that gets the country. It's never fully explained in the movie proper. I think it's something from the books that the baron and baroness are from a different rival family who, at least as far as the books are concerned... Uh, were once the ruling family of Genovia before being outed by the by the current monarchy, and since no one, if no one of that family is going to take the throne, they get the throne back. But the movie kind of explains it that they, they are, you know, if they are the Baron and the Baroness, if if Mia, you know, if if there isn't a Rinaldi on the throne, they just get. The throne passes on to them. Yeah, and they've already got plans. They're, they're designing stamps with her face on them. And, you know, like, I, I, it's weird. It's just there to be mild drama. They're not even listed on the Wikipedia page. They're so <laughs> yeah. insignificant to this movie. 
Yeah, it's they're so insignificant to the the movie that it's it's just it's just there to be like, oh no, Mia, you can't let the Baron and Baroness have the throne. You know, we have to have a quote unquote bad guy, and there are quote unquote bad guy. Um, there's, I mean, there's multiple bad guys. Again, the Baron and Baroness are mild annoyances at best. Uh, Mandy Moore is kind of the the main bad guy because even after it's been outed that Mia is a princess, she still wants to bully her and humiliate her at every given every given moment. While to the press saying, "Oh, I'm Mia's best friend. We've known each other forever." And then, of course, you have Josh, who is our coitus guy for the. Yeah, so at the, beginning, at, the, at the beginning of the movie, Josh is dating Mandy Moore's character, Lena. Popular girl, popular boy. Sure, it's high school. Yeah. And he's the one, he's the guy that every girl falls over. He is the star athlete. He is the head of the debate team. He is, he plays in a band. He is the cool guy. And, you know, jock extraordinaire. And he's dating Lena, who is the head cheerleader. Again, high school. But he ultimately breaks up with Lena, trying to get with Mia because he wants to be famous. And the quickest way to get famous is to hook up with a famous person. And he even does the thing of inviting her to the beach party... So that when the paparazzi show up, he can kiss her on camera and be like, hey, I kissed the princess, totally her boyfriend, whatever. It is a good moment for Mia when that happens as far as character development moments. Because she, we see her before, and we constantly see her little visions of, of him in her head. She has all these little delusions of her kissing him and, and whatever. It's so kind of heartbreaking, that moment, because we see her discussing it with her mother beforehand about how she wants to have this, like, Hollywood movie moment of, like, oh, he'll kiss me and my foot will kind of pop up and it'll be so romantic and everything, you know. And when we see it, it's just an actual assault, you know, he, he grabs her, he forces the kiss on her, she ends up hitting him and running away. I just like how the whole setup because you have one reporter, hey, give her a smooch, and he just lays one on her, sticks his tongue down her throat, and then she hits him, and then, you know, all the female reporters go, yeah, hit him again, hit him again! Well, and that's the thing, is, is it's not that they are there to get, like, young love on camera. They are just there for a spectacle. They don't care what's happening. It could be we have a couple in love. It could be we have a couple who's fighting. The reporters don't care. And by extension, the people who are consuming that paparazzi garbage also do not care. TMZ stuff. Yeah, it's it's the the TMZ stuff. Um, I mean, most of the reporters that we hear, we overhear them. They don't even know where Genovia is. They just know this kid is a royal. That makes her a celebrity. That makes her special. And we 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 need to have the special person on our cameras. 
Well, yeah, because it's just it's just money. Yeah, they don't care if it's affection or hatred. Either way, it's going to sell. And as uh, long as it's a spectacle. And, and right s- after that, uh, Lena embarrasses her again by saying, "Oh, we're you know, Josh is a is a jerk. We're going to help you get out of here. Here's your clothes. Changing the." Changing this tent, and then they take the tent off, and she's just wearing nothing but a towel. As the celebrity, as the paparazzi keeps taking pictures of her wearing nothing but a towel, which is again just the same spectacle. It's they don't care whether it's Mia having a moment of love, having a moment of triumph by you know hitting an attacker or having a moment of humiliation any of those three things are exactly equal to the reporters and by extension the public they are selling it to because it's all the same spectacle i think it's probably the best point in the movie and it's kind of glossed over far too quickly because it's 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 glossed over too quickly, I I think, in kind of what Julie Andrews kind of says to her in the, like, you know, it's the press. We've, we've dealt with the press, you know, all the time. We're royals. That's what we do. You know, when when you're dealing with kind of the, the, the real world version of this stuff, it has caused actual harm to people. You know? Diana. Yeah. I mean... Yeah, I mean, let's rip that bandaid off, Diana. I mean, well, it's it's caused actual death, but you know, even if you if even if you do it today, I mean, you can go listen to. I, I just watched recently a very good interview with Harry, where he very explicitly said that the reason for his move and his walk away from his family was he said i watched this kill my mother and the second i got married they started to do this to my wife and i wasn't going to watch it kill a second woman in my life it's a cute little g-rated disney film but they're dealing with a very serious issue that is kind of glossed over in a really interesting sequence that was one of the best parts of the movie to me side note if you are able go watch the jordan peele film nope uh which is exactly about this idea of spectacle and what our society is willing to do to watch and consume spectacle um so that is all i will say about that but it has a lot of of good parts uh, and things to say about it. But Mia is is not wrong to kind of when when she says to Lily, you know, in the aftermath of all this, like, I you know, I don't want to do this. This is this is a nightmare. She did not realize it at at first because. We have been sold, mostly by Disney, the idea of the 
the fairy tale aspect of it. And I do like that at least in this film, there is as glossed over as it is in this sequence, some recognition of the fact that no, it's, it's not really entirely a fairy tale. The best part of this is Hector Elizondo being like, you realize that, that she is a human, right? She's 15 and the most guidance that she has been given in this transition from you are a teenager who is being bullied to you are a princess is expected to lead a country is this is how you sit this is how you walk this is how you drink your tea not this is what to do when the media comes after you viciously. Her advice is deal with it. And it's like, Joe, he says, you know, it's not just queen and princess. It's grandmother and granddaughter. And that seems to knock some sense into Clarice. That, yeah, it's not just you're raising a princess. This is your granddaughter. But it's also very interesting because we are living less so in 2001, but it hits a little differently watching it now because we are living in the bizarre society at this moment. Anybody can be the Twitter main character of the day just accidentally you don't you don't have to be famous you don't have to be royalty you don't have to be you know and one am i the a-hole post on reddit can go viral and start everybody talking about you it doesn't it doesn't even have to be that big it can be one random tweet or you know one thing somebody catches on video that you didn't even realize was, you know, and it doesn't even have to be anything bad. It can just be something goofy or silly or, you know, a little kid talking about how much he loves corn <laughs> or, <laughs> yeah, I mean, but, but really it's just the, I just heard a very good point, which is that it used to be, as the Muppets would put it, the standard rich and famous contract, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, the idea that there was some sort of insulation when you got fame that you sort of had the the wealth to insulate yourself as well. But now suddenly you can be the most famous person on TikTok or whatever. But also a nine to five job. Yeah. But, but also, you know, you just, yet you have to get up in the morning and you have to go work at your job and, Everybody could still recognize you, but you you don't have the ability to protect yourself in the same way. And there's something terrifying 
in in that um in that sense um that it's it's kind of backwards um because at least Mia when this happened to her she sort of she had a bodyguard she was able to kind of run to the consulate she was you know there there was a way for her to kind of have sort of a a bubble of safety and protection from the people who were trying to get her and if that were to happen to just a random person who became the twitter main character who who do you call you know there there is there is no protection from from that um and it's a real thing that people have to deal with i mean this is not a hypothetical this is happening constantly to people some would say it's kind of come up because the whole beach scenario happens because she ditches her friends like she promised lily she would go on her show she promised uh, Michael, he would, she would go see her band and she cancels both to go to this party because the cutest boy in school wants to kiss her. But the thing is, is I don't think, I mean, you can say narratively, you know, yeah, yeah. Na- maybe it's, in, in, it's in a come up and it's, it's come up and, but in a, in a sense, had she gone to say Michael's show, the paparazzi can still show up to that. You know, it's it's not, you know, m- morally speaking, yes, Mia was in the wrong and she re- she realizes that and she does that. But, you know, if they'd have found out Mia was at Michael's show, it, it's the same thing, just perhaps there aren't as many bad actors unless somebody else in the audience just wanted to have their 15 minutes and you don't know maybe they do probably less had she gone to lily's (laughs) lily's little studio to do her her show because there's like two people there and they're both her friends the thing is is that she is so brought down by this that she decides she's just gonna run away to Colorado or something and go rock climbing for the rest of her life. She tells her grandmother that she will abdicate. Her grandmother is so upset by these scandalous pictures that she's like, yes, okay, abdicate and we'll give the country to the Baron and Baroness. Fine. Um, Which I think is a bit of an overreaction, Julie Andrews. Come on. That's where Joe kind of gets in here. This is still your granddaughter and she doesn't right now she doesn't need the queen she needs her grandmother we finally get the titular princess diary in the in the movie um it's different in the books but you know it's oh we give we give everyone a diary on their 16th birthday and yours is coming up and your father wanted you to have this but um and that's where we get the letter from her father being like be brave and courageous and whatever you'll make it i didn't want to be a prince either but you know stiff upper lip have a genovian pair i don't know it's i mean it's not a great letter for the entire movie to hinge on i mean it's almost like the hero of this movie was almost fat louie yeah i mean the cat's kind of like yeah come look at this letter i'm cute (laughs) 
One of the one of the cats the in the movie that is playing Fat Louie was actually uh Anne Hathaway's cat at the time. Hmm. So they they just got other cats that looked like Anne Hathaway's real cat to be Fat Louie. And they so all have, have so we have so, Anne Hathaway's cat and Anne Hathaway's dad. Yeah, the cat that's on the cushion in the plane at the end of the movie is apparently Anne Hathaway's real cat. And the other ones that are, you know, in in the the apartment were cats that were gotten to look like her cat that could be picked up on camera or jump or trained to do other things. But the one that's on the cushion wearing the little tiara is apparently her real cat. Um, we we have our our big climax as. She reads the letter and decides, no, I shall be a princess and goes out into this awful thunderstorm in her beater car. Of course, she has the the greatest line as the car breaks down on the hill and she's just lying there drenched and she goes, I'm invisible and I'm wet. I mean, that's something that she's been she says throughout the entire movie that she's invisible in her school, and she likes it that way. She likes being the person no one sees. Yeah. And now she's the person that everybody sees. The the, the line about being invisible and wet, though, I've 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 never related to anything more. <laughs> Just. <laughs> and and I and I liked it because it it felt so much like like uh, Gene Wilder's line in. <laughs> In the producers, like I'm hysterical. I'm wet and hysterical. <laughs> hysterical, yeah. It's just it had kind of that that same energy, but just resigned, you know. Like I'm invisible and I'm wet. She has to give that whole speech, you know, looking like a drowned rat, <laughs> standing there in her hoodie. But I like that she shows up in the 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 hoodie and the Doc Martens and stuff and she's standing there. That's Mia. That's not the princess. That's her as herself. Well, yeah, but notice, though, what I said earlier about whatever rich people are doing is what people find hot. Because everybody's standing around in their exquisite ball gowns and she walks in out of the storm in her hoodie and her, you know, awful shoes and, you know, all this kind of stuff with her hair from, you know, wet from the storm and no makeup and everything. And what's the first thing people say? Ugh, we look like idiots. We should have worn what she's wearing. There's the reporter from the teen magazine and she's like, she's come in wearing an ensemble of a hoodie and her hair is tussled and wet from the rain. And like... It's like, well, yeah, duh, it's whatever she's doing is because she's the princess. It it doesn't matter that she's not dressed up. She's the princess. So people are just going to want to do whatever she's doing. Because we're all lemmings, you know, it's like. (laughs) That's that's what it is, Um, which I think is a perfect, you know. This movie has such amazing little touches about how absolutely over the top people are about celebrity and royalty and 
all that kind of stuff, which, you know, we didn't plan this to be any sort of, you know, coincidence about when we're recording this or putting this up. But after having witnessed the queue and all of the uh, pomp and associated circumstance is kind of a point, you know, when the scene where Julie Andrews gets them out of the, the mess by making up the order of the, the grand rose. exalted rose into yeah. whatever, you know, <laughs> inducting these random men into the order with the drive shaft, gear that's broken off and like and Mia's going oh ooh ah yes what an honor and you know what is all that but of course all this is even more hysterical because about a year or so before all this Julie Andrews herself became Dame Julie Andrews ooh ah you know I mean it's like and yes, impressive, but also take a step back and what is that? It was like one older woman took a sword and tapped another older woman on the shoulder with it. And now, ooh, ah, like, <laughs> I mean... Not to discount that or anyone's achievements, because Julie Andrews has had some very impressive achievements, and I admire her greatly. But also, that's a bit odd. Uh, another part of here that's kind of glossed over and kind of in the background and almost could be deleted from the movie is... Mia's mom getting in a, into a relationship with her teacher. Well, yeah, but I mean, like that—that's a thing that happens sometimes. It's—it's it's, it's fine. It's like it's barely in the movie, and I feel like why even mention it in the movie? <sighs> well, yeah, I guess they just wanted to be like her mom can still get it. I guess I, I don't know. <laughs> like. <laughs> I guess it's just so that at the end of the movie, the mom would also have a date to the ball. It's just end, so everyone is coupled at the ball. Because Lily brings Jeremiah, who she openly says she hates because he's an annoying magician. Yet that's her date to the ball. <laughs> and Mia has, you know, of course, Michael by the end. And the mom brings the English teacher and, of course, Julie Andrews is dancing with Hector Elizondo by the end. So, you know, everybody who kind of matters has a date by the end of it. Yeah, it, it is kind of weird because the English teacher has like one scene. And then there's a line that's like, you went to a student teacher conference and now you're dating my English teacher and she's like, what? Adults can date or whatever. It's like, <laughs> he's not married. I'm not married. It's fine. Which she has a point. It's fine. Yeah. I but at least for Mia, it's another 
it's another thing on top of the pile for her. It's like now I'm now I'm going to be bullied because you're dating my English teacher. I'm bullied because I'm I'm playing Jane. I'm bullied because I'm a princess. Now I'm bullied because my mom is dating the teacher. And the interesting thing about this is it shows just how weird the idea of bullies are because they will bully you for anything. And this movie is so good at showing that. In any other movie like this, every character would end up kissing Mia's ass. Even the ones that hated her will bend over. Oh, I'm sorry, your royal highness, I am. Please don't cut my head off and I will do whatever you want. And it will become a joke for the rest of the movie. For this one, Lena just says, we're going to embarrass her. We're going to humiliate her. We're gonna pair. We're gonna make it like we're gonna make fun of her for sitting next to the magician geek. Honestly, though, I find this slightly more realistic because the second that Mia did not go along with Lana's bit about, yeah, we're best friends, which was her initial gambit. Like, oh, yeah, we're we're best buddies now. And Mia kind of was like, no, we're not. You know, when that didn't work, she immediately goes back to bullying. Which was more realistic to me. I I had to deal with that a lot. So this is kind of just personal. There were times. When. Something would happen in my life where. I had something a bully wanted. And for some reason, they always think, like, if I'm just nice to you for two seconds, your memory will stop working. (laughs) And you will forget that I have been awful to you for the past forever. And so in this movie, Lana tries that. She's like, oh, you're a princess now. Okay, well, let's do that, you know. And then it doesn't work. And so she immediately goes back to just like, well, then I'll go back to making your life hell. And that, that's that been very true to just my own personal experience. Is that if you don't immediately go along with it and go like, oh, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll go along with your ploy. You may kiss my ass and, and I will go along with it and give you whatever you want. They will just double down and be like, okay, I don't care if you've got what I want. And I will just bully you until you give it to me. When she does the thing of Mia is my best friend and Mia does this and Mia just goes like, nah. She does it even worse. Like, oh, look at Mia's hair now. Look at Mia's clothes now. You know, it's just even more vicious once Mia doesn't acquiesce to what Lana wants. Super realistic. I was like, whoa, whoever whoever wrote this has dealt with a bully because that is exactly the MO. It's like they will be sweet just long enough to see if it works. And if you don't immediately fall for it, it's like, oh, you don't want the honey, huh? Okay. I, I will I will bring the venom twice as hard. Um, so yeah, that 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 really that really had the ring of truth 
<laughs> so yeah especially for that kind of that particular type of of girl bully mia's little bit of of the ice cream all over the the uniform when she finally stands up for herself and she's like oh i bet that uniform goes with anything and then she just smears the ice cream all over it and the fact that no one wants to help her afterwards like everyone in that school knows how big of a female dog is it's like yeah well i didn't see what happened once again it's the it's the spectacle like nobody cares whether it's good or bad it's just like hey something happened let's gawk over it for a while um and you know it it doesn't matter whether mia's on top or lana's on top or you know who's winning it's just like we just want to watch the fight which is kind of why schoolyard fights are all the rage it's like we don't really care who's getting beat up or who's in the right or who's in the wrong like we just we just want to watch some violence you know the the other thing is can can we just talk just for a second about how adorable julie andrews is during the princess lessons yeah, teaching her how to walk teaching her how to, the waving was the was kind of my favorite that you know we don't wave very harshly because we have to do this all day so we give it a little little wave little wave with our friends hello thank you for being here Thank you for and being then, here. And Thank then just, and then Jessica, well, I have other duties today, and I will see you ladies later. Thank you for coming today. <laughs> yeah, thank you for coming today. Um, but the interesting part about that is that Julie Andrews actually kind of had to go through princess lessons at one point in her career. Hmm. Because she did sort of have to study the the way that european royalty in general is taught to behave because she had to do so many roles early in her career <laughs> that were um not not only kind of the liza do little transformation in my fair lady but you know she also had to do all these various roles early on where she had to be very royal and princess and you know and it was that sort of the way we think about julie andrews it's that very refined you know so she did have to study the mannerisms of european royalty and how they move and comport themselves and you know she did kind of you know that that was part of what she brought to the to the role um and it was kind of interesting because you had you had talked about you know royal weddings and and things like that earlier this movie got a big bump just before the the royal wedding with harry and megan and it became really popular again because it came out that prior to the marriage they made um megan markle take training on how to behave 
before she was allowed to join the royal family. Um, and so when that came out in the press, people were like, isn't that what they did in Princess Diaries? <laughs> and because of that, people were like, maybe I should go watch that movie again. And it it got a big uh, bump in viewership because of that. Um, but the whole sequence is just so funny because a lot of people forget how funny Julie Andrews is. Go look up any of the stuff she has done with Carol Burnett in those old Carol Burnett, Julie Andrews specials that they used to do on TV. Or even you, if you can find her special. Well, yeah, but, but especially the, the ones that she did with Carol Burnett, cause you can find them on YouTube. Now people have uploaded them and they are absolutely just the funniest things. I mean, and she plays it off here well, you know, as, you know, she's trying a corn dog for the first time. She's riding in a, you know, I haven't ridden in the front seat of a car in years. <laughs> but, but yeah, but even in the, even in the, um, in the princess lessons when she's mocking the way Anne Hathaway walks and, you know, she's it's like the, slumped the over cat. and, you know, stomping around and, and stuff like that. Um, but the 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 bits with the two of them where you know Anne Hathaway is standing behind her making faces and the, you know all that kind of stuff and um it's they're they they made a really good double act and then you know even though we're we're not really talking about the the sequel you know when they continue it in the sequel with the two of them you know work working on it then because they were more comfortable together um when they came back to to do the the sequel a couple of years later and and Hathaway had gone off and gotten a couple other movies after that uh they they were a bit more more comfortable with with each other by that point and it's it's a really good comedic match so you said sequel there was a sequel princess diaries 2 royal engagement in 2004 and pretty much since the early 2010s there has been constant rumors of a princess diaries 3 now anne hathaway has said if it came her way she would do it the rumors kind of died down after a few years, but really picked back up when Disney Plus became a thing. We got Hocus Pocus 2. That was one of those movies that was announced. We got, you know, Lady in the Tramp remake. Where get, uh, the other one, what, what I think it was, yeah. Um, uh, Sister Act 3 was the other one that I had heard. But so, like, if this movie does happen... Oh, uh, where do we go? I mean, Anne Hathaway is adult. She's married with kids. Now you could go in that direction, or you could have her still be a single queen without a you know, and has to do an heir that way. I don't know. Well, the the thing is, is that we've we've lost Gary Marshall, unfortunately. Julie Andrews and Hector Elizondo both said that they would be there for it. 
Um, Anne Hathaway has said she would like to return. They would want to do it, but they would want to do it only if it was really right for all of them. Like if they if they really felt that it was the perfect way to do it for all three of them. We're we're just weeks away from Disenchanted coming out. <laughs> yeah, and that too, was so that was that was one that we didn't think we were ever going to get. Yeah. And a good grief, nobody thought we were going to get Hocus Pocus 2. So there's a chance, but if they can find the right story, and it's a story enough to get Anne Hathaway and Julie Andrews and Hector Elizondo back, that's really all you need. Everybody else is, okay, we can, you know, I mean, Heather Melizaro, maybe. If she's the best friend, you kind of do kind of need her, but those main three is, you, you cannot do Princess Diaries 3 without those main three. It, it would be nice to have them back if they want to pop in, but you really do need those main three. Um, I would I would like to see it if if possible, but only if it's a good enough story. I don't want them to to do it just for a cash grab or because we've got Disney Plus now and we need something to, you know, put on the Plus, yeah. yeah. Um so uh, only if it's only if it's worth getting them getting them together again. Um I'd I'd rather leave it where we left it in the sequel cuz I thought the sequel was great. We might get to that one day, but you know. Um, I, I thought it was a, a worthy sequel and I'd rather just leave it there rather than just pull everybody together because, oh my God, we need, we need to do it. Not every, not every franchise needs to be a trilogy. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm okay. I'm okay leaving it where, where it is unless it's something really good. So. So on that, let's ask the question. Kiki, does the Princess Diaries have the magic? I think so. I enjoyed the rewatch. It had been a while since I had seen the first one. I've seen the sequel more recently, but uh, it had been a while since the first one. And uh, I I found myself still chuckling along and still enjoying it. This, for me, I feel the same way that I felt with 10 Things I Hate About You in that it's, I am not the audience for this movie. I know I'm not the audience for this movie, but I did... I enjoyed parts of this movie. I enjoyed everything that outside of school stuff, like the school stuff just didn't vibe for me, but everything else, the fish out of water princess stuff, the, you know, um, we didn't even touch on Mia's flaw of lack of public speaking that kind of goes through the entire movie that kind of ends up at the end where she actually has to make a speech in front of every diplomat and public figure in the state, in the city of San Francisco. But that part I did like, you know, her going from, you know, not just the look of plain Jane, the princess, but her attitude going from I'm invisible and I like it to, I'm going to step up and be a princess or, and make this world a better place. That story I liked. It just, here's all the school stuff. 
did not do it. it I'm I'm way high school has been it's that long ago for me that it just does nothing for me anymore. But yeah, overall that part I did like. And I probably if we get to the sequel, I'll probably like that too because there's none of that there. He's already graduated. Yeah, I'm I'm going to kind of agree with you on the high school stuff. A lot of it I had forgotten how much of it was set in high school. It was that goes on too long. And we kind of glossed over it a lot here. Because it doesn't really affect the main story. Other than we need to get these kids who know each other. Yeah, and I had I had forgotten how much of Princess Diaries is not princessing. It's not a long movie. But a lot of it could have been streamlined or spent more on the either the mom and daughter relationship or the grandmother daughter relationship or maybe the best friend relationship um but i do like how much of this movie is women's relationship with each other and not oh we have to have a man do something because a lot of these cinderella stories are oh a man has to do something and and same for the pygmalion idea i mean that is very much the pygmalion idea is a guy transforms a woman it was nice that we dealt more with the family interconnections rather than you're doing it because somebody else wants you to and that when she chooses, it's because she chooses and not because her family is making her, which is also kind of different for these stories. Her family is not really pressuring her. Yeah, the grandmother even says, even if you, uh, you know, even if you uh, uh, renounce the throne, we're not going to exile you. You're still family. Yeah, which is nice. The, the mom is still, you know, hey, it's your choice. You You get to do whatever you want. And even the grandmother's like, all right, it, it'll suck if the country's not there, but you're my granddaughter and I love you. And it's apparently the only granddaughter she has because one of her sons went into the priesthood and one of her sons just had the one daughter. So, yeah. So, but yeah, yeah, I, I actually did like most of the movie. So, yeah, I'm going to say it does have magic. So let's move on to next week. Kiki, we're starting spooky season. Woohoo! It's my favorite time of year. Everybody party. Starting the spooky season in the darkest place there is the shadows. Primarily, what we do in the shadows. Yes, we're finally getting into that. Uh, the series, what we do in the shadows, the FX series, which uh, is now a Disney property. Yeah, I've been wanting to talk about this for a while, and I thought, but we can't talk about it because it's not owned by Disney. And then, thanks to some pictures at D23 this year, I realized I'm kind of a 
dork, and of course it's owned by Disney. <laughs> Disney owns FX now. <laughs> Disney owns everything. Disney owns your soul. So we are going to get into what I have never seen the series, what we do in the shadow. I have never seen the movie, what we do in the shadow. So this is going to be completely new territory for me. But Kiki, I know you're a big fan of the show. You know what? It's uh, we're 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 back in uh, Taiko Itd's world of everything being a bisexual moron. So <laughs> I'm in my happy place. This time we're going to the world of uh, bisexual moron vampires. I mean, we we can't do our flag meets death on this show, so we can have to do that. <laughs> yeah, I mean. Who, who knows? They're selling off things left and right at HBO Max. So <laughs> Disney might buy buy that in a fire sale next week. We don't know. We don't know. So come back next week as we get into what we do in the shadows. And we will talk to you all next time. Bye. Bye. Princess to vampires. What are we doing on this show? It's going to be fun. If you want to help the fight for human rights in the U.S., the American Civil Liberties Union works to protect constitutional rights for all Americans. Their website is aclu.org. If you need reproductive services in the U.S. or wish to donate to those who do, go to abortionfunds.org for more info. The battle isn't over until the last person surrenders. The fight continues. Don't let the magic stop here. Join our conversation online on Facebook at Rewatching the Magic. Twitter at Rewatch the Magic. And of course, new episodes every week at rewatchingthemagic.podbean.com. Remember, the magic is for everyone. It only stops if you let it. <laughs>